Hey everyone. As you know, I'm a huge fan of living a healthy lifestyle, including taking the right supplements. Collagen is one of my favorite supplements. It is the most abundant protein in the human body. As we grow older, we break it down faster than we can replace it. This loss affects our skin, nails, hair, muscles, joints, and tendons, bones, and gut, making us look and feel old. Totem Voss is a wellness company that created a collagen chew for a real-life person, the 78-year-old mother of the founder. As a result, the quality is unrivaled. Totem Voss chews contain equal part deep-sea Icelandic cod, domestic grass-fed beef, and organic chicken bone broth, along with companion ingredients such as vitamin C for full collagen synthesis. These varied sources address a greater range of collagen needs within the body. Their customers are reporting results with such problems as rosacea, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, degenerative disc disease, as well as improved hair, skin, and nails. Practitioners are finding the juice to be an effective tool in restoring gut health. You can find Totem Voss, that's T-O-T-U-M-V-O-S, at getchews.com. That's getchews.com. Use code DRDIVA, that's D-R-D-I-V-A, for an additional 10% off your first order. Whether it's autism, whether it's autoimmune diseases, or whether it's acute respiratory distress, like some people have with this COVID-19, it's a ineffectual immune system because vitamin D is critical to producing a class of proteins called defensins. And defensins kill encapsulated organisms. And COVID is an encapsulated organism. At 30,000 units, I did it for sleep and for bone health on my patients. What I found though, was that all of a sudden, no one got the flu again. And two people had the swine flu when I first started and they were dying. And I gave it to them and both attributed to saving their lives. One was my mother. Hello, this is Dr. Diva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. Today, I'm pleased to have Dr. Judson Somerville with us. He is a seventh-generation Texan who is a lifeline learner with the passion to find the truth. As an avid athlete early in life, combined with both a medical and a chemical engineering degree, gave him the experience and tools to understand how the body works. Then a childhood where his mother was constantly feeding him cod liver oil and multiple other supplements made him aware of how if treated and given the correct nutrients, you can overcome almost any health issue, such that he was well prepared when he realized he was dying, dying after becoming severely ill following a brown recluse spider bite and traditional medical opinions failed him. After some experimentation, he found vitamin D3. He discovered that vitamin D3 was critical to optimally functioning his body. This has saved his life. He has since made it his life goal to improve others' health with the power of optimal blood plasma levels of vitamin D3. Dr. Somerville, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm good, Dr. Nagula. Thank you for having me here. You are an 
experts, both from a clinical experience and obviously you've done so much research on your own and have published a book about this information. So thank you for being able to provide this information to us and the public. This is, this is fantastic. Vitamin D is one of my favorite topics and let's just get right into it. So what exactly is vitamin D? That's a, that's a great question. There's several different forms. There's vitamin D3 and D2. You want D3. D3 is actually a hormone. It's not even a vitamin. It comes from cholesterol. It comes, typically we get it from the sun when we are exposed to it. But nowadays with sunscreen, clothing, being told to avoid the sun, we're very, very deficient in it. And this hormone has a profound effect on just about everything in our body. There are vitamin D receptors in almost every cell in the body. Only thyroid hormone is equally as well represented. And basically, it's the key to being healthy. And when you were saying earlier that it really comes and is derived from cholesterol, does the levels of vitamin D3 correlate with the amount of cholesterol that we have? So if we reduce our cholesterol using statins or other cholesterol-lowering medications, are we, in fact, lowering our vitamin D3 levels? Um, you know, I, I, I don't really have a, an answer to that, but there is a, a strong correlation between cholesterol and vitamin D in the sense that cholesterol is actually your body's attempt to patch the arteries that are being uh, destroyed by basically poop leaking from your gut into your, into your body. In your gut, there's gaps and buttons, and you want buttons. But when you have inadequate vitamin D, your immune system is inadequate. You do not actually have an adequate innate and active immune system to control what's in your gut. So basically, what's in there leaks into your arteries, irritates the inside of your arteries. You release cholesterol in attempt to repair it. And over time, because you're constantly irritating it, you develop elevated cholesterol and then calcification. And so basically, the lower your vitamin D is, typically the higher your cholesterol. And if you do raise your vitamin D level, over time, I've seen many, many people's cholesterol come down. So yes. Wow. And is it a dramatic decrease? I mean, do you see the higher the levels are, the more of a reduction in cholesterol? Or are we talking like, you know, 10 or 15 points that we're reducing here? Um, it, it, it's complicated because, as you know, there's so much different genetics in the United States. It's hard to say anything with 100%, but it also takes a long time with vitamin D, depending upon how long you've been, quote, ill, that is vitamin D deficient, and most people, it's most of their lives. It takes a long time to repair the gut, start repairing the end, um, their arteries and such. And in fact, vitamin K2, the NK7 type, can really, really help with, with that repair process. But it's, um, in the people I've seen, it's been a gradual because, again, it takes a long time to kind of heal the gut, start healing the body because with vitamin D, everything from cancer to autoimmune diseases to obesity to sleep deprivation to autism to, I mean, like I say, just about you name it. And it, it sounds almost too too good to be true. Um, and a lot of people say vitamin D isn't very sexy, but it is very sexy. It's just the dose is the key. And that's what my next question was. So what is the optimal dose to have these glorious benefits that you're talking about? 
Um, great question. Um, I found in experimentation, I, I went uh, to a lecture and I'm blanking on the doctor's name now. I, I mentioned it in my book uh, because I was dying and I knew I needed to do something. And always my fallback when traditional medicine failed was to um, find some kind of supplement, vitamin, mineral to help me. And I started experimenting with vitamin D after I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal. Then I went to this talk. She had recommended 20,000 units a day uh, for like six weeks, eight weeks, and then go to 10,000. Well, I was enthralled. So I went home, started it, and uh, started all my patients on it. And as soon as we all went down to 10,000, we saw a significant drop in our benefits. So I went to 20,000 units a day and kept them on it. Of course, checking their calcium, their vitamin D levels, because it was all pretty new. And, you know, the fear they that they've uh, instilled in us about hypercalcemia and toxicity and we're going to die. By the way, no one's ever died from vitamin (laughs) D supplementation. Um, And in Kashmir region of India, they treat millions of units a day and there's only a handful of cases of hypercalcemia. Anyway, so I uh, went up to 30,000 of my own and found that I even got better benefits and I experimented. Wow. I eventually put my patients on that again, monitoring levels. They did great. And I later experimented with higher levels, but found that that level was the one that worked best. And more important is the blood levels of calcifodiol, which is a blood form they measure of vitamin D. And you want it between 100 to 140 nanograms per ml. They also measure it in, in animals per liter, which is typically two and a half times higher. Right. And and so I think most labs, if I'm not mistaken, it's like nanograms per deciliter. I could be totally mistaken, but I'm referring to some of the common lab values that are like from Quest or from LabCorp. So they usually have the low range at 20 and then right. the, the high range at 100. So within right. that scope you're you're you think it should be 120 is that what you're referencing 100 to 140 and it used to be in the labs at least when i was in practice and they would say above 100 possibly toxic yes now yes in my i i don't i don't remember the reference right off the top of my head but i have it on my blog and also in my book where the people it talks about when they were deciding how to set the levels and they decided to set they knew that toxicity didn't occur at least, at least until 300. And in the case studies I've seen it, typically it resolves at 400 uh, nanograms. And um, they knew it was at least 300, but they wanted to be safe. So they made it a hundred. Interesting. Okay. And so when we were in medical school, you know, we were told not to push vitamin D3 because of the hypercalcemia and any other toxic effects. And so that really scared us in terms of prescribing this to people. And so why or how did the government come up with these minimum blood plasma levels for for D3? Um, A great question again. The the thing is, um, the focus on rickets, the childhood disease, because back in the 30s, they found that cod liver oil, maybe even before then, had an effect on rickets. And so their whole focus was solely on the endocrine function and not the autocrine function of vitamin D3. The endocrine being bone health and having enough vitamin D to prevent rickets. And if you have a level of 20, that should be adequate to prevent rickets. 
Now, most adults obviously don't suffer from rickets and most people aren't, you know, pregnant women. And so therefore it's kind of silly to have that level for the whole rest of the population, but it's kind of been perpetuated um, for that because most of the effects of vitamin D are autocrine and that is inside the cells. And like I say, every cell has, almost every cell has a vitamin D receptor. And so you need those higher levels in order to have the vitamin D function and get the optimal effects inside the cell. Now, another problem is that 30% of people and 40% of obese people have an issue with either the vitamin D receptor and or the intercellular machinery that activates vitamin D inside the cell because you need to convert it basically from the blood storage form, cholecalcifidiol, to cociferol, the active form, inside the cell for it to initiate the cellular processes, the autocrine function. Well, if you don't have enough, it's not going to do that. And if the receptor doesn't work very well or the, it's not activated very well, you're going to need higher doses because even the blood storage form has some activity. So it'll help boost the amount of the active form. So I found that that dose, pretty much everybody had the benefits that I was looking for. Now, some people required more. And there's a Dr. Combra that treats autoimmune diseases with even higher doses. And with the high doses, are we able to get around the high doses of vitamin D3 usage by using cofactors? That's a good question. Uh, I've gotten some grief because I do mention vitamin K2 and magnesium in my book, but I don't go into a lot of detail. And what I've done is uh, the research I've done and stuff. Yes, vitamin K2 is important, but our gut, if it's functioning properly, will produce it. Now, again, depending on your diet and such, I think most people get an adequate amount. But again, if your genetics or such or whatever, I don't think it hurts to take vitamin K2, whether it prevents hypercalcemia or not. I, I don't think so. And Dr. Combra, who treats with even higher units than I do, doesn't believe in not believe, but does not use vitamin K2 despite using, you know, doses way higher than I do. But I do think it's it's beneficial. And in my blog, I talk about it versus the two different main forms commercially available, vitamin K2, the MK7 and MK4 type. And I found the MK4 type works better for osteoporosis and the MK7 type works better for immune function and for atherosclerosis. Do they differentiate that when you purchase K2? Because I've never seen that. Yes, yes, they do. And I, uh, I, I, I typically, if somebody's got osteoporosis, there was an article, I think it's out of China, uh, that shows they used 25,000 units a day and they were able to reverse um, with calcitonin, with reverse osteoporosis. Now, I don't think they needed the calcitonin, but you know that's the only study that, that, that looks at those kind of doses that I'm aware of. And then with magnesium, I mean, what's the recommendation if, if that's even needed at all as a cofactor? Uh, I, I think it's important because magnesium is kind of like if, if vitamin D, as my friend says, is a queen, then uh, magnesium's the prince, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, it does so many different things uh, besides improving the absorption of um, vitamin D3. It also is involved in so many of the enzymatic processes that vitamin D participates in. So from that point of view, it's very important. And also many, many people are vitamin D deficient, but many, many people are also 
magnesium deficient. Mm -hmm. And kind of my recommendation is take as much as you tolerate. Now, I have a, a friend of mine that thinks maybe that's too much, a very knowledgeable friend of mine. But I think, you know, if you get diarrhea, obviously you have too much, you know, I mean, kind of titrate it up. But I usually 400, 800 milligrams, maybe more. I mean, start with a lower dose because some people are more sensitive. And magnesium glycinate or citrate, I think, are um, mm -hmm. the better forms. The problem with oxalate is basically it's to induce um, diarrhea. So I don't think that's really the one you want to use. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm really interested, I mean, I'd like to take a little transition to your personal story about how it really helped you with the brown recluse spider bite. I mean, what kind of symptoms were you having where you were able to reverse these symptoms and improve your overall well-being with vitamin D? And, and more importantly, like what dosage were you using to improve your overall well-being? Um, yes, thank you. Um, I... Um Started out, like I say, at, uh, before I, I went to that lecture, I was taking maybe 5,000 units and such, and I didn't really notice much of anything. I went to the 20, then back down to 10,000, and then eventually settled on the 30,000 units a day. I was having uh, chronic fatigue. I was about 100 pounds overweight. I would eat a large meal and still be really hungry. I was, had sleep apnea. I had uh, gastric reflux. I had wound infections that just wouldn't heal. And uh, I was chronically anemic. I was malnourished despite eating well. Really, I was just really a train wreck. And I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I was pretty sure I was going to die um, in, two, in three to five years if I didn't uh, find a solution. And fortunately, I, I found the vitamin D. And some of those symptoms are from the, the vitamin D deficiency. But the, the brown recluse spider bite just uh, because of the wounds and the loss of protein and everything uh, and the stress on my body just made everything so much worse. Hmm. Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all have helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in oncology, cancer, healing, and medical eBooks and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. You've also helped us hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't received your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksatmillion.com. Visit from doctortopatient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. If you like our book and podcast, please go to amazon.com to write a five-star review and go to Apple Podcasts to also write a five-star review on this podcast or any of our episodes that you've enjoyed. We need reviews to attract and secure top-notch guests for this show. Thank you so much for your support. And, and you just mentioned a few of the benefits of vitamin D3, but I know they're just only a few, but would you be able to give us like a laundry list, if you will, of, of some of the vitamin D3's primary benefits? Um, yes, I can. I kind of break it down in this. There's like three main areas that I think it, that can relate to everybody. One is deep restorative sleep. When you're in deep sleep, you need to be totally paralyzed except for your breathing. And if you're not, then you become more paralyzed snoring and more paralyzed sleep apnea 
and or less and less paralyzed restless leg syndrome. So for instance, if you do a sleep study and it says, you know, a combination of mechanical and forgetting the term, I think it's central sleep apnea. Basically, the mechanical is because you're overweight because you lack vitamin D and the central is because you lack vitamin D and your brain isn't working right. And the reason it is, is uh, I believe it's the thalamus, the area where the vitamin D works in, and it basically causes you to be paralyzed except for your breathing. And when you're deficient, you end up with either sleep apnea or restless leg syndrome. And the reason it's so important to get deep restorative sleep, there are a number of reasons, but one is when you're in deep, deep sleep, your brain actually contracts 30 to 40%. And they only recently discovered, I say recently, maybe in the last five years, what's called the glymphatic drainage system. And that's kind of a filamentous, like tubular structure that's around this, the outside of your brain that when it's fully expanded, cannot open or drain. So you need to, to contract your brain. You know how when you've ever been really, really deep asleep and somebody wakes you up and you're kind of confused for a little bit? Mm-hmm. I think that's your brain trying to rapidly expand and start basically working again. And so... With that system, I think you're able to drain out the larger waste products and such. And my theory is by not being able to do that, you end up with things like dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. And um, a curious sidebar to that is athletes, the ones that get lots of head trauma, I think damage that system. So even if they were to get deep sleep, they can't adequately drain it. And that's why many of them end up with, you know, Muhammad Ali, Parkinson's and other diseases, uh, dementia, um, you know, and such like that. Mm-hmm. So that's sleep. It also, when you're in deep sleep, your brain can reorganize itself, all the traditional things we know. And if you can't get that deep sleep because you're constantly being woken up to think you have to go urinate, you know, I mean, if you don't urinate eight times during the day, why are you going to have to urinate over the eight hours or seven hours you're asleep? It, it doesn't make any sense, but because, you know, you did that, you woke up and your friends say, oh yeah, it's because I've got to go urinate. And you assume that's why you're waking up when in fact it's because either the sleep apnea or restless leg syndrome is waking you up. Then the next area is metabolism. Is this what you were looking for? Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Metabolism. Now, Vitamin D is critical. I mean, you think about bears, okay, or animals that hibernate during the winter. Why do they do that? How do they know? And somebody goes, oh, it's angle of sun and whatever. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But I know that as the angle of sun gets lower in the sky, the ultraviolet light, the B fraction that produces vitamin D lessens. So what happens is their vitamin D level drops. And when you have a low level of vitamin D, your appetite goes way up, okay? your metabolism goes down 20 to 30% and your fat absorption goes way up because you're trying to bulk up to survive the winter, okay? Well, the problem is all of us are basically what I call winter syndrome. We're all trying to hibernate. We all think it's winter. We want basically fat rolled in sugar, the most caloric foods we could find. I mean, the thing that used to freak me out is I was 100 pounds overweight. I would eat a huge plate of food and I'd still be hungry. And that just didn't make any sense to me. And since I've done the vitamin D, wham, my appetite is I only eat what I need. And you know, what kills diets? Why do no diets ever work and probably ever will unless you include vitamin D? Because 
your appetite saying, if you don't put food on, if you don't eat food, if you don't get fat, you're going to starve to death in the winter. And some of us have stronger, I mean, these people that are, you know, really, really large probably could have survived the worst famine in the world because they could eat a peanut and gain 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. Teasing, But, you know, it's funny though, the fat part sells more books than any of the other things. All right. But the most important is it's function on the immune system. And basically, I think whether it's autism, whether it's autoimmune diseases, or whether it's acute respiratory distress, like some people have with this COVID-19, it's a ineffectual immune system because vitamin D is critical to producing a class of uh, uh, proteins called defensins. And defensins kill encapsulated organisms. And COVID is an encapsulated organism. And if you don't have enough defensins, you can't adequately defend yourself against those type of organisms. And the thing I found is at 30,000 units, I did it for sleep and for bone health on my patients. What I found though, was that all of a sudden, no one got the flu again. (laughs) And two people had the swine flu uh, when I first started and they were dying. And I gave it to them and both attributed to saving their lives. One was my mother. Wow. Okay. And so, I mean, and it's really amazing because people, new patients would come in with the flu and be, oh, don't let me touch you. Well, I wanted to touch them and I wanted to see, you know, what was going to happen. You know, how doctors have inoculated themselves with things to see how they would respond. Well, I wanted to know and I never got the flu. And, you know, I'm not advising you go out and, you know, take this and think you're bulletproof. But I was recently exposed to COVID. One was two hours in my room with a uh, nurse that I didn't know had it until later. And another was, I recently had to be in the hospital and I was three days in a small room with somebody that was COVID positive um, that I didn't know at the time. And uh, so in neither time, in both times I've tested negative. I have one, um, one uh, old patient who works in the prison system and a third of the guards and the prisoners were COVID positive. And he was negative. So, you know, it really, it really is profoundly important because what it does is there's a class of cells called dendritic cells and they differentiate self from foreign. And that's really the crux of where autoimmune diseases come in and uh, your ability to fight off infections is with those dendritic cells because without vitamin D, they don't function properly and they can't tell an antigen foreign from self. So they can't gear up the active immune system produce antibodies to attack it. Or if they do, they're, they're ones that attack ourselves or they're just inadequate. They're not, it basically blinds the immune system. And that's why you end up with, uh, in my opinion, autism, you know, the body just does, it says, look, we're being attacked. We need to do something. What can we do with the gut? It's, um, let me see if I get this right. Stromal, no, thymic stromal lipoprotein and hydrogen peroxide. So it ends up irritating the gut, causing more leakage, more issues with autoimmune disease and such. It affects the type of bacteria in there. It just causes a big mess and it basically poisons your body. With cytochrome storm, you can't attack the COVID. It's going crazy. So what you do is you release all kinds of cytokines, which cause, and, and bradykinins and such that cause vasodilatation, all your fluid goes into your tissues. 
and you basically, your tissue system goes empty and you basically drop dead. And with autism, it's your body, all they can do is jack up the temperature to try to kill whatever it is attacking. And um, because it can't use the antibodies because, you know, this is my theory on autism. Basically, the mother's vitamin D deficient, the baby's vitamin D deficient, and you're giving an attenuated virus to someone that is immune depressed. When I mean, when I say attenuated, it means a partially alive, not a dead virus. And one of the contraindications is not to give it to somebody like with AIDS or any other kind of autoimmune disease. Now, there's a myriad of other reasons. And I'm not saying don't get a vaccine, but make sure, you know, your kids have enough vitamin D. And there are other reasons for it too. It's, a, it's, it's not just one size fits all, but the immune system. And then there's obviously bone health. And I just did a nine-part blog series about cancer and, and vitamin D3. And it's really interesting when you're talking about and alluding to the benefits of vitamin D when it comes to autism and with COVID, specifically with autism, even after the fact, the diagnosis and the inciting event has occurred, is there sufficient chances that it can be reversed with adequate levels of vitamin D? There's a friend of mine, he's from India, and he works in a doctor's group, and he's um, worked with 60 patients and given them 60,000 IU three times a day for three days. And then going back to 30,000, he's been able to reverse it in all 60 patients. Wow. He read my book and loved it. And he got a study funded by the Indian government to use 30,000 units a day to see how it works against COVID. Mm -hmm. And not a single university will touch it. Why why is that? (laughs) What's your theory on this? I'd love to hear it. Well, I mean, look, this is going to sound grandiose and I promise you, well, maybe I am crazy, but if I am, I like the crazy I am. But the pharmaceutical industry knows basically vitamin D3. I mean, I think it could have such a profound effect on so many people's health, you know, that basically we wouldn't be slaves to pharmaceuticals. Look, we need them. Like I talked about before, genetic differences and such. Some people, no matter how much vitamin D they take, and some people can't because there's a CYP24A1 gene defect. It's pretty rare that people have it severe, but it can cause hypercalcemia at lower doses. That's why, you know, I'm not giving medical advice here at all, the whole talk, but, you know, ideally you work with a medical professional that, that gets it and they could check the ionized calcium, your parathyroid level and your vitamin D level. But yeah, I mean, and doctors I think are, are probably afraid. I mean, I, I, I'm a medical doctor. I understand you, you work so hard, you need to make a living. But once I started doing the vitamin D and stuff and the way I am, I mean, people would walk through walls to see me and I had more business I knew what to do with because people, they just want the truth and Mm -hmm. they still get sick. And guess what? You make them healthier. They're going to go out and do more things to require medical care. I promise you. And not that that was my intention or ulterior motive, but I found it, it, if anything, it, it made my practice boom. Mm -hmm. No. And interesting enough, with the vitamin D3, you know, I know we've talked about the toxicity. If there is toxicity, it's going to be related to hypercalcemia. So can you talk about 
hypercalcemia, what it really is for the listener's purposes, and then what signs to look for if you might become or have toxicity with calcium. Yeah, I know there's some people who are going to go out and take it and not talk to their doctor. And, you know, I mean, that's just the way people are. And the thing is, you look for fatigue, muscle pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Uh, you know, you're not feeling well. Kidney stones um, are, are the, the symptoms and uh, that you'll get with it. Obviously, you know, if you check your, your ionized calcium level, it'll be elevated. Again, no one's ever died from supplemental vitamin D. And actually there's a, a handful of cases of people with that CYP24A1 gene defect that didn't realize they had it because usually it's, it's diagnosed early in life at like around birth. And they may have had some kidney stone problems and such. And uh, they started taking it and they started getting really severe symptoms of fatigue and nausea and stuff. And sure enough, when they checked their uh, active form of the vitamin D, they found that it was it was very high, even though the blood storage form wasn't that high as far as it goes. So those are the kind of symptoms that you could typically expect mm -hmm. if you if you have hypercalcemia. Got it. I really want to go into some discussions about vitamin D and COVID, but before we do that, what is the optimal formulation in extended release, liquid form, orally, combination of vitamin D3 and K2? Like what there's so many out there. Can you clarify these here, for us? Here, here, here's what I, I recommend. I recommend vitamin D30,000 in olive oil or avocado oil because I think uh, you don't want it in... Oh, God, why do I always blink on that seed oil? Um, Grape seed or... Oh, no. It's, uh, it's kind of like in everything nowadays. Anyway, you want it in those two forms and you want the capsules, okay? If you're going to take vitamin K2... The MK7 type take um, no more than 100 micrograms a day. Now, I take more and I think it helps me. It's just um, I've known some people, this friend of mine in India, he's found that if he took more than 100, it causes his arteries to calcify or increases arterial pulse velocity, which is not good. And so, again, genetics, you know, I don't, I, there hasn't been enough research done. I find that it reversed the atherosclerosis in my feet with a higher dose. And, and for people with osteoporosis, it was 45 milligrams a day with the vitamin D. Okay. But you know, whatever, if you take the MK7 type, hundred micrograms or less, you'll be, I think is, is safe and good. Magnesium, glycinate or citrate, you know, 400, 800 even more because some people are constipated and they could certainly take more. You want to get to where you're kind of back to normal as it were, not normal mm -hmm. constipated, but what a normal bowel movement should be. And then boron is super important. Okay. It helps with joint pain and in treating people with chronic pain. One thing that always occurred to me and no one ever talks about, and it's not mentioning textbooks is I think a lot, a lot of people have micro fractures. Okay. And a lot of their chronic pain is from the bones. That's why injections may not work. That's why shots, you know, procedures may not work, even back surgery. And boron is, is super critical to strengthening the bones. I typically take 18 milligrams a day. Take more and it can boost like your estrogen and testosterone. So you want to be careful about that. And uh, over in France, apparently there's a tremendous amount of boron in the soil. And the orthopedic surgeons over there have a heck of a time because people's bones are so strong. strong. Okay. 
good problem to have. And then uh, what else? What else? I, I take some vitamin C, you know, a gram a day. Am I missing anything? You know, I, I think, uh, well, we're going to talk about COVID in a second, but those are, those are the main things I say to take. And I try to keep it simple because you start making longer and longer lists. Yeah, it gets harder. You know, yeah. And, and people kind of eyes glaze over and they say, yeah. no, thank you. But that, yeah. that's, that's the critical stuff, I think. And it's interesting, you know, we were talking about the benefits of vitamin D with cancer. And me, you know, it, it really hit home for me when I was diagnosed with cancer. One of the first things that I did was get vitamin D levels. And I believe I was diagnosed sometime, you know, early to midwinter. And I was living in Florida at the time. Right. And when I got my levels, it was 19 nanograms per deciliter. Wow. Wow. And and this is me. Obviously, I have darker skin, so my absorption yes. isn't, as, isn't as great as someone who's got lighter skin. Right. But I was always out in the sun. I would play golf, you know, frequently on the weekends and being out in the sun. But I would also put a ton of sunscreen on. Yeah. So it was a double whammy. You know, the sunscreen blocked the absorption, blocked the rays from the sun, and then my dark skin. I was just so I was not getting any absorption of vitamin D, and my levels were low. And so it goes to show you that, you know, my immune system was pretty shot. I mean, I was getting sick quite often, you know, two, three times a year. And so, and this is living in Florida. So it really goes to show you that there is a correlation between a healthy immune system and high levels of vitamin D3. This is probably the perfect segue into talking about COVID. And early on when COVID hit a year ago, you know, they were doing some preliminary studies on the correlation of vitamin D3 and people's outcomes that have COVID. And the higher the vitamin D levels, you would see the population who did get COVID would have less of a hospital stay and no time in the ICU. And the reverse was, was actually also held true. You know, people who would actually have low vitamin D3 levels, you know, had an awful time with the virus, had an prolonged stay and were often in the ICU. And you know, there have been more studies that have come out since then that have been in peer-reviewed journals, but this is a no-brainer to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to touch on cancer a second, I, uh, well, it cured me of skin cancer, my brother of skin cancer, and then I had a patient's wife that started taking the dose, and she had ovarian cancer, and she's going to MD Anderson, which is one of the premier cancer institutes in the world, and they told her she has six months, good luck. Well, she went back nine months later, cancer-free. And in this recent blog post, I list some of the cancers that are most susceptible. Well, they, I won't go into all the details because I want to talk about COVID, but it's a nine-part series. And I try to make them short, you know, like 500, 700, less than 1,000 words so people can read one and then come back later so it doesn't tie up a lot of time. But anyway, COVID, Yeah. I'm aware of the study you're, you're talking about. And the, the problem with all but one study I'm aware of does one of several things to basically prove that low-dose vitamin D3 doesn't work, to prove that vitamin D doesn't work, which is, is basically trying to disparage it because if you don't give the right dose, you know what I'm saying? Because what they'll do is they'll start somebody on a dose but not check their initial levels. They won't follow the levels in the study. They won't give adequate amount. They'll give like three or 5,000 when you really need, like I say, 30,000 to get the optimal effects. And I think, and it's a bold statement, I wrote a letter to President Trump and I just wrote one to Biden 
and uh, sent him some copies of the book. Curiously, after I sent it to Trump, there was a sale, not on Amazon, of 45 books. Trump hated Amazon. So <laughs> I think there was a correlation. But anyway, I think that I could have the COVID epidemic over in two months if you would just let me edit. Yes, some, you would discover some people with that CYP24A gene defect, but nobody ever died from it. And it's a lot easier to treat people by stopping it and treating, you know, symptomatically treating their uh, hypercalcemia than it is to try to, to explain to somebody why their loved one's dead because there was nothing you could do about it. So, you know, like I say, my friend was able to reverse people who already had it. And I think, you know, granted, mine's an anecdotal study. I was exposed twice heavily and I didn't get it. Not everybody will have that experience, but I really, really, really think, you know, with that dose of vitamin D, this thing would be over in two months. And right now it's winter time and I knew it was going to get worse. I yep. knew it was going to get worse. And because we live so far from the equator, what I call the golden band between the Tropic of Capricorn and the Tropic of Cancer, basically there's lots and lots of light. But the problem is I practice in Laredo and 98% of the population is Hispanic. So typically not always, they have darker pigmentation and melanin absorbs 99.8% of the UVB light, the one that produces vitamin D3. And typically Hispanic people don't sunbathe and not really looking to be darker, okay? So I was amazed at how many people, almost everybody was deficient and lots of people were in down in the single digits, like five. And I remember treating one guy, I mean, he had just about everything, ascites, his abdomen was really swollen because of all the fluid in there, because his liver was giving up. And I was amazed at how quickly he improved just with the vitamin D. So wow, even, even the ascites cleared up. Uh-huh. Not completely, <sighs> but so much better. And I mean, it's just basically your uh, vitamin D, oh, I could talk for hours about it. Yeah. And we're talking about COVID, but at the end of your chromosomes are uh, telomeres. And they basically yeah. determine how many cell cycles, how many times your cells can divide. And the less they need to divide and the more they can divide, the longer you'll stay young and the longer you'll stay healthy, okay? Because you'll have, instead of using up all the cells, because every time you get sick, you kill more cells than you were if you weren't. And so the longer you can stay, even a flu kills some cells. You're like, oh, it's not that much. It's not, but over time, it's cumulative. It adds up. And so vitamin D, I think, helps slow the aging process of cells. I think it may even help keep the telomeres longer and basically your organs are younger and you stay healthier. And basically, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, vitamin C to scurvy, vitamin D is to all the, age, all the diseases of aging. But in particular, we have this crisis with COVID. Now, zinc is important because over in Iran, there's a region that's very zinc deficient. They had really high rates of COVID over there. So you need to get some zinc. You don't want to take too much, more than 40 milligrams a day. Otherwise, if you take too much, you're going to have a copper deficiency. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, uh, hopefully I'm not talking too much. Um, no, yeah, you were talking about Iran and zinc. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's this is amazing. This is great stuff. I mean, I, I'm sure I, I could talk to you for hours about this, and I'm sure the listeners are, are, are loving this as well. So, but yeah, I mean, there's more studies and, and actually some of the protocols that are in the intensive care units 
are also including high doses of vitamin D3 intravenously. And so I'm sure that I haven't seen the outcomes, um, long-term studies, but you know, with what we're talking about, we know that this is definitely helping the survival rates and improving the overall outcome. So it's interesting. I, I thought that my dosing, I thought the levels between 60 and 80 nanograms per deciliter were optimal. I take 10,000 units. So right. you can be sure that I'm going to be doubling and maybe even tripling this, this dose <laughs> right after we get <laughs> off the <this> show. <laughs> Yeah, see how it works for you because, um, you know, like I say, people um, noticed a big difference between 10,000 and 30,000. Mm, yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because one of my big issues that I've been having is poor sleep. And then the poor sleep, as you were talking about, you know, if you're not getting enough deep sleep, you're not uh, draining the lymphatic system. So as you're alluding to, you know, you're often are predisposed to things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And what you didn't include, which I'm sure is part of it is brain fog. So, uh, yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth because I was going to, if you weren't going to mention, I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So, in, and so that's, I'm sure that'll all clear up because um, that's what I suffer from in the mornings is a lot of brain fog. So, and I, and I feel it's, it's, it's probably because my levels aren't adequate and that's causing me to have a deficiency in deep sleep. So this is all good stuff. Before we wrap up, and are there any other pearls of wisdom that you might be able to, uh, share? I mean, the whole podcast has been pearls of wisdom, but any more that you might be able to have? Well, um, you know, I'd hate to self-promote, but my book has got kind of the basic story in it. And I'm working on my second book. And uh, the blog, you know, vitamindblog.com has um, all of my recent or all of my posts. And I'm working right now on one on gut health and vitamin D. It's just quite complicated, as you can imagine. Can you touch base on, on how those two are correlated, um, D3 and gut issues? Um, yeah, it all comes down again to the immune system. And I think, here's what I think. There's 150 to 200 million nerve endings in the, in the gut, okay? Elementary tract from the, the mouth to the anus. And I think, um, you know, like I say, vitamin D controls the appetite. So, you know how you get cravings for things? I think that is... Vitamin D, based on vitamin D, telling your your body or brain that you need a certain key component to build some kind of whatever. Because your gut produces lots of serotonin, produces GABA, produces all the B vitamins, vitamin K, all these different substances you need. But if you don't have the right bacteria and they're not modulated, because see, I think vitamin D through the immune system and the dendritic cells, like I talked about before, counts keeps track of and modulates the, the organisms in your intestines to produce what you need. And when you don't have enough vitamin D, then your innate and your active immune system breaks down. So it can't control what's in there. Plus the components start leaking into your interstitial tissue, the fluid in between your cells, into your veins, into your arteries, into your lymphatic system, and basically poisoning your system which also contributes to brain fog and all the other atherosclerosis, diabetes, you name it. So it's really, really fascinating. I'm just trying to find all the research and stuff because some of this stuff is my ideas and there's been no research on it. So I'm trying to, how to put it, there's several steps, but I'm trying to find stuff as close to what I'm saying to prove what I'm saying. Got it. And, um, for our listeners, if people want to find out more information about you, read about your blog post, what's the best way? 
www.vitamindblog.com or they could go Amazon or any bookstore and find my book, The Optimal Dose, Restore Your Health with the Power of Vitamin D3. Awesome. Dr. Somerville, this has been a great show. Thank you so much for being on here and thank you so much for all the work that you do. Well, Dr. Nagula, thank you so much. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.